All right, how many of you are ready to hear about a beast? No, look at your spouse. Look up at me now. Come on. All right. Good to see all of you. Now, I know I just had you seated. I know. But can I get us to stand just so we can pray, and, and, and then you can be seated the rest of the night. We keep you in shape around here. We do. It's, it's, it's just it's aerobics, right? And, uh, but it's good to see all of you. And um, my, can you remember a summer like this ever? 1980. 19 when? 96 was this bad? Yeah, it was 2000, okay, see? But I was thinking it was global warming. The Lord is way more concerned with moral cooling than he is global warming. Amen? Yeah. So let's pray. We're going to get into chapter 17 tonight and continue through the book of Revelation. Father, we just thank you for your touch on the service tonight. And I pray that you will uh, answer us, Lord, and open your word to us and help us, Lord, to get it, to be built up in the faith and to see your hand move. And we thank you, Lord, for helping us to understand the times so that we are not taken unawares in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm getting a tad bit of feedback, just a little bit. Okay, you can be seated. Thank you. By the way, Corey and Rochelle, stand up. And we had a, a pastor last week, and we got a pastor this week. <laughs> Say hello to everybody. Shout out the name of your church North Elevation Church in Mansfield. You don't want to go there. Don't, don't go there. <laughs> no, but it's good to have them tonight. Now, in our last time together, we witnessed the final three bold judgments. Now, let me just stop here. Because the book of Revelation is, is like this. You're going through so much information, so much heavy stuff, that it's real easy to kind of get lost, sort of like lost in the woods. And so let me just drop back just for a second and remind us that the book of Revelation is primarily a book of prophecy. Now in chapter 1, we see, we're introduced to, we're given a picture of the resurrected Messiah. Not Jesus walking around on earth, uh, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, the Lamb of God, but we're seeing the resurrected Messiah in chapter 1, eyes like fire, snow white hair, feet like bronze, a voice like thunder. He's the resurrected Messiah. And so we're, 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 we're struck with, right off the bat in this book of Revelation, which is the Greek word apocalypsis, and it means that which has formerly been hidden, but is now revealed. Okay? No way you would have known what's in the book of Revelation until the book of Revelation was given to John, because it was hidden. But apocalypsis means un unveiling. So we're seeing something that if God hadn't decided to reveal it to us, we'd never know it. Okay? So we see the resurrected Messiah in all of his glory in chapter 1. And what does Jesus tell John? He says, John, I want you to write these things down. And here's the three things I want you to write. What has been, what is, and what is to come. So I want you to write, John, you're going to be writing in this, these 22 chapters, you're going to be writing about what has already happened, what is right now, and what is to come. 
Now we see in the book of Revelation, John goes back into the past and we, we see Jesus crucified. We see Jesus resurrected. We see Jesus born where the dragon is trying to destroy him in Revelation 13, I believe, and is unsuccessful. So he goes back into the past, what has been. But then in chapters 2 and 3, he deals with what is and what is at the time. Seven churches Christ is addressing. And all of them are there at that time. All of them, Laodicea, Philadelphia, Smyrna, all of them. They're all there, present tense. So chapters 3 are dedicated to addressing those churches. And I believe what we see in those churches uh, are true to churches everywhere to this day. I also think they might mark certain ages of the church. So that right now, we're in the church of Laodicea, I believe. The materialistic church, focusing on money, things, stuff, what you possess. Jesus said to that church, remember, he said, you say you are rich. He's talking about money. And because you're rich, you don't have need of anything. But I say to you, you want to know the truth? You're miserable, you're wretched, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. So Jesus said, you think that you've got all you need by material stuff? No, materialism doesn't add anything to the quality of your spirit. All right? So he says, I count you, counsel you to buy of me gold, tried try in the fire, an allusion to the things of God. All right. So then, so chapters 1, 2, and 3 are dedicated to what had been and what was. But then from chapter 4 through 22, it's pure, high-level prophecy. The things that will be. And John begins to end these things that he's being shown. And it is a profound prophecy. Uh, just profound. A lot of people won't touch it because they don't think you can understand it. So they won't teach it. But I believe God wouldn't give it to us if we couldn't teach it. If we couldn't understand it. All right? He doesn't want us dazed and confused. He doesn't want us perplexed. So um, just a little catch up there. So where are we now? We're smack in the middle of high-level prophecy in Revelation 17. So, in our last time together, we did see the final three bold judgments poured out on a world that rather than repent, curses and blasphemes God as the judgments fall. Isn't that amazing? Now remember, there's 21 judgments that are poured out during what we call the Great Tribulation. Seven years of great tribulation. The trumpet judgments are first, then... No. The, is the seals were first, then the trumpets, then the bowls. Right? So you got seven seal tr- judgments, and to me, they're terrible, but they're the mildest. Because when you come to the trumpets, it's worse. When you come to the bowls, it's the worst of the worst. And last time we finished the three bold judgments, I could go back and recap, but just go get the notes. They're on the web, and they're easy for you to get if you want to go back and see what we taught. Now, as we begin chapter 17, we're going to meet two mysterious, mysterious characters, and they're going to be a real eye-opener. So 
the Apostle John is once again approached by one of the seven angels that had held one of the bowls. All right? And this angel reveals something to John that astonishes him. Verse 1, chapter 17. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Everybody say, say, what? So we have a mysterious character here. Uh, And the mysterious character is a great harlot. Now, not literally, of course. This harlot, we're going to see, represents a, a harlot religious system that's going to appear in the last days, great tribulation time period. And this really matters, folks, because I believe we're watching it, the beginnings of it form right now in our world. The fact that the great harlot is sitting on many waters symbolizes a vast worldwide influence. Uh, This religious harlot system that's going to appear in the great tribulation has corrupted the entire world. She's sitting on many waters picturesque of the entire world. In scripture, harlotry often refers to spiritual harlotry, idolatry. All right? Read the book of Hosea, and you'll hear about it over and over and over again. When people departed from God in the Old Testament, they were often addressed as spiritual harlots, idolaters. They had gone into spiritual harlotry. They had forsaken God. It's sold out. All right? So a departure from the true God uh, results in a false apostate religious system. And that's what we're going to see forming in the Great Tribulation period. A false religious apostate system that will cover the globe. Now I want to say again, I believe we're watching that form right now. And I'm going to elaborate on that in just a moment. The constant refrain of the Old Testament prophets is to rebuke Israel and Judah for engaging in spiritual harlotry by their worship of idols. When they went worshiping idols, God said, you've gone into spiritual harlotry. And he judged them for it. They lost their nation. They lost their city. They lost Jerusalem. They lost everything God had given them because of spiritual harlotry. All right? So here we have this harlot sitting on many waters and that shows there's going to be a religious harlot system dominating the world in the great tribulation period so this is what john sees an apostate religious system that is going to work in coordination with the antichrist now we think of paul's similar prediction of of what will take place in the last days. Here's what Paul says, 1 Timothy 4, 1. I preached on this Sunday. I can't get away from this verse. The Spirit clearly says. Everybody say clearly. clearly. He's wanting us to know. I mean, the Spirit is distinctly, undeniably, irrefutably telling me something. Clearly says, in later times, latter times, there's going to be a departure from the faith. Now, this matters. Watch this, everybody. And they're going to follow deceiving spirits 
and they're going to follow things taught by demons. Who will? Those who have departed from the faith. People that sit in church pews. People that are professing Christians. I want you to get the import of this verse. I wish I could work it in the Greek language. If I just spent all night working this this one verse in the Greek language, uh, it would be a real eye-opener. Because it's very strong. Paul says, by the Spirit, I'm seeing down the, the tunnel of time. And I'm seeing an apostasy coming. Now, folks, an apostasy is not backsliding. Backsliding and apostasy are two different things. A backslider gets caught up in some sin. They get messed up in the flesh. They, they get involved in something they know they shouldn't, and they get trapped. And they walk away from church, walk away from prayer, and they get caught up in the things of the world, and they backslide. That's not the same as apostasy. Apostasy is when you say, I no longer believe, I want nothing to do with Christ, nothing to do with God, nothing to do with the Bible, I renounce it, I denounce it, I cast it aside, don't even talk to me about it, I'm done with it. It's when you renounce the faith. That's apostasy. That's what he's saying is going to happen here. It'll be a worldwide apostasy. Now, let me ask you a question. Are we seeing that today? Are we seeing people apostatize? Oh, yeah. I mean, big name people. People that have written Christian books. Uh, people that have written Christian songs that, are, that went worldwide are coming out and saying, I no longer believe. Really? Well, you're not backsliding. You're apostatizing. That's a big deal, folks. That's really serious. All right? Paul says they're going to abandon the faith. That means they're going to walk away from it. And what are they going to do? Something has called them out. What is it? Spirits that are deceiving them. And things literally taught by demons. Did you know the devil teaches? Did you know the devil teaches? Are you all aware the devil teaches? Oh, you better know he teaches. He knows the Bible better than a lot of Christians. Didn't he go to Jesus and say it is written over and over again? He used the word of God, try to trip up the son of God. If he hadn't known the word, of course, he was the word. But a lesser opponent would have caved very possibly to the level of attack Satan brought to Jesus. And what did he use? He used the word. So, so in the last days, the last days are going to be characterized by industrial strength deception everywhere are we seeing that on social media i mean there's more i mean don't get me wrong listen i believe in the gifts of the spirit they're all real for today but there's some things on that web claiming to be god that are no more god than i am a nasa astronaut they're not god okay and I'm amazed at the number of followers they have. But anyway, who is this great harlot that we're seeing sitting on the waters of the, of the world, influencing the world? She's comprised of an all-inclusive, corrupted Christianity with apostate Protestantism, Roman Catholicism, and a blend and a mix of other false religions that produce one final, last day's corrupt superchurch. 
Why can't we all just get along? That bumper sticker, coexist. The only thing is, that bumper sticker is insane because every religion named on it claims to be the only one. They're not about to coexist with anyone. But, but, but the, the push in the last days and leading up to the Great Tribulation is going to be, hey, love should overlook differences in beliefs. We need to come together in an ecumenical kind of way. And can't we all just get along, meet together? We all worship the same God. We all worship the same maker. Yeah, your religion is called something different from mine, but it's all the same thing. No, it's not. But that'll be the call. That'll be the message. Now, in light of the inroads that New Age mysticism, false feel-good Bible teaching, the push towards inclusivism I was just talking about, and other spurious false doctrines that have infiltrated today's church, this isn't at all difficult to imagine. This super church, this apostate church, this, this great spiritual religious harlot influencing the world, this false religious system that will reign supreme and work in tandem with Antichrist to deceive the world? It's not hard to imagine it. For instance, I'll give you a couple of examples. New Age practices and beliefs have wormed their way into churches and denominations across America. The belief in spiritual portals, you know, that's a New Age concept. That's, a, that's something straight out of uh, um, science fiction. There's no such thing in the Bible as a portal. And yet, many churches believe in this, teach it. Yoga. That's new age. Communicating with the dead. You say, well, nobody does that. Oh, don't they? Oh, yes, they do. They go lay across people's graves that they might suck in their mantle, the mantle of the person that's dead in the grave. And that's happened in key churches across America called grave sucking. I kid you not. Oh, yeah. I'm afraid we're going to need some heart, some heart medicine here before I'm done. Because, folks, I'm serious. I, I, I stay up. I try to stay up on what's happening in the church because I'm a pastor, and I want to know what's going on with the church, good, bad, and ugly. And I'm telling you, uh, there, are, there are major works who have involved themselves in this. They go to the, the grave of a, some dead saint and lay across it like this and pray that their mantle gets into them as if a dead person can hand a mantle when only God gives an anointing. Amen. Um, communicating with angels. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's people say, oh, my angel comes, talks to me all the time. I'm going to tell you, no, they don't. Not a real one. If it was a real one, you'd be on your face trembling if you die. All right? The belief that Christians are little gods. The little gods doctrine. We're not little gods. We are saved sinners. There's only one God. I'm so glad he's got. Amen? Praying to and even commanding angels. People saying, I command my guardian angel 
to do this, that, and the other. I've, I've heard it, and I've read it. This is new age. This is not Christianity, but it's invaded churches. It's, made its, it's found its way in. You, you can't command an angel. They obey Christ. They obey God. Period. I've even heard people command Jesus to this, that, or the other. Oh, yeah. Uh, the teaching that you can create reality with the words of your mouth. I want to be careful. I do believe that we need to make a good confession. But we don't create reality like God does. Only God does that. But if you read New Age books, they're filled with the teaching that what you say, you create it. You got to be real careful what you do with that. Because you don't create reality. You don't create something out of nothing. God does that. It's real quiet in here tonight. But these are New Age teachings. And, and I can go get New Age books and show it to you. It's New Age. And they've gained ground in today's church. John writes that this last day's harlot church will look good on the outside, but be utterly corrupt on the inside. Antichrist will place his approval on it, he will support it, and he'll use it to his evil ends. Uh, so this harlot church is going to be in league with the Antichrist, and John is going to introduce us next to him. So verse 3, Revelation 17. So he carried me away with, into the, in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman. Now this is the great harlot again. Sitting on a scarlet beast. That's Antichrist which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Now, we're getting into some deep stuff here, but watch now. The second character presented is a scarlet beast. And the scarlet beast is seen upholding and carrying the harlot. All right? So this is the part we, we need to look at the way it's given to us. John says this beast has seven heads and ten horns. Spielberg could not come up with this stuff. Seven heads, ten horns. And we're going to look more closely at this in verse 7. I want to go back to this religious harlot a little bit longer. Verse 4. The woman, the great harlot, was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. What is so impressive about this harlot? She is materially wealthy. She, she has a display of grandeur, uh, royalty, um, impressive on the outside. She's beautiful, richly dressed, royal colors, bedecked with jewels. So she's very, very impressive when you see this religious harlot system that the Antichrist is going to use in the last days to captivate the entire world. However, there's a very dark side to her. I want you to notice, everybody. John knows that she has in her hand a golden cup full of abominations. Oh, she's wicked. And the, and the filthiness of her fornication. On the outside, she's impressive. But on the inside, this religious harlot system is thoroughly corrupt, filled with abominations. Keep that in mind. 
Now next we're coming to a third mystery. Enters the vision regarding the harlot. Verse 5. And on her forehead there is a name that was written. Mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots, and the abominations of the earth. So here is now a third mysterious uh, thing in the vision. Not a person, but what, what is this mystery Babylon? Now, Babylon always pictures rebellion against God. False religion, the pride of man. Babylon began all the way back, we got to reach all the way back to a man named Nimrod and the Tower of Babel. That was the first, that's where Babylon began. Ba 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 ba, they all ba 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 babbled. Right? They were doing great till God cursed their language. Nobody understood each other. So we call it Babel because they were babbling. All right? Tower of Babel, why did God curse it? Because it was not built for the worship and praise of God. But it was dedicated to the glory of man with the motive of making a name for the builders. So Babylon has always been about the glory of man, rebellion against God, and pride. All right? Because look what they said in Genesis 11, verse 4. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for who? What's it say up there? Come on, everybody. So what were they wanting to do? They wanted a name for themselves. It was all about them. had nothing to do with God. They were in rebellion against God. So likewise, we've got to keep that in mind because we, Genesis is what? The book of origins. When you read about something in Revelation, Babylon, you've got to go back. Well, where did it begin? It began in Genesis. So spiritual Babylon represents man's pride, rebellion, and the destruction that always accompanies a departure from God. So what is this mystery Babylon written across the harlot's forehead? I think it could very well be the godless, self-promoting, worldwide system Antichrist will put in place during the Great Tribulation, including the mark of the beast on either the back of your hand or your forehead. You'll be marked in the beast system and in the worldwide harlot apostate religious system that the Antichrist sidekick called the false prophet is going to oversee. Everybody say, this is deep. Give me either this way or this way. It's deep, right? But folks, I believe we're on track here. All right, now, next... John elaborates on the evil character of the harlot. Watch this. I saw the woman. She looked great on the outside, but guess what? She's drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Not only is this false religious system that will be a mix of all the different religions, all right? Jesus will have nothing to do with it. Christ will be nowhere in it. It will be false. Antichrist will be the God. It'll be false worship, false idolatry, all of that. Jesus will have nothing to do with it. But watch, impressive on the outside, but drunk with the blood of the saints. What's this telling us? Her influence is not only going to be worldwide, but she's going to be drunk with the martyrs of Jesus. This false religious system 
will become the spearhead of persecution against God's true church. The tribulation saints, those that are saved after the rapture. Again, I don't want to backtrack too much. Remember, I've told you, I believe the church that exists now will be gone. Everybody say raptured. We're going to be in heaven. But a lot of people are going to be saved. Thousands. As a matter of fact, a a, a countless number of people are going to be saved from the preaching of 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams and even an angel that will cover the earth with the message of the gospel. But So there will be thousands saved during the Great Tribulation. And what will be their biggest enemy? This harlot church. Who's persecuting us now? The world? Yes. But have you noticed that there's a lot of criticism coming against the real church from people that claim to be saved? More and more and more. What do you, you, know, you shouldn't believe that whole Bible. A lot of it's allegorical. Uh, a lot of it is symbolic. Uh, you shouldn't be calling this, that, and the other a sin. That's not what it means. You can't take it literally. Come on, join the crowd. Wise up. Come out of antiquity. Come out of being a Christian caveman. Get up to speed. Don't tell people they're in sin. We got to love everybody. We got to love everybody. Love will never judge. Love will never call anything wrong. Love will never call somebody out for their sin. But we're just to love everybody. And they have totally redefined love. Because love is not letting anybody whatever they want and you sit by and watch them destroy themselves if you truly love them. You will say something. Love will speak. How many of you believe God loves you? When you go off into sin, does he take you to the woodshed? Does he judge you? Oh, yes. But this end-time apostate church is going to be totally different. It's not going to have any of the message of Christ. It'll have a form of godliness, but it'll deny the power thereof. And it will be the persecutor of the true Christians of the Great Tribulation period. And John says, when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. Now, John doesn't have to wonder about this vision for very long before the angel speaks. And look what the angel says in verse 7. The angel said to me, why would you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. Okay, we're about to be told what this beast is. So next, the angel is going to identify the origin of the scarlet beast sitting on all the waters, that false religious system. Verse 8. This is going to sound mysterious, but hang with me. I'm going to explain it. The beast you saw was once alive, but isn't now. And yet, he will soon come up out of the bottomless pit and go to eternal destruction. What in the world does that mean? Well, according to John, let's let's just track it. According to John, the scarlet beast first exists, then disappears, then reappears again. And the angel gives a clue as to what this means. Verse 9. This calls for a mind with understanding. Everybody say with me, I've got understanding. Okay? So here, John says, you know, here, this, this, you got to have some understanding here for the Spirit of God. The seven heads of the beast 
represent the seven hills where the woman rules. Well, that's easy. Most Bible scholars believe this is clearly talking about Rome that is known as the famous city of seven hills. So what is it telling us? The scarlet beast, this false religious system that's going to be there in the great tribulation period, deceiving the world? The handmaiden of the Antichrist is going to originate from Rome, Europe. John is telling us that the Rome that existed when he wrote the Revelation would exist for a time, then disappear, and then reappear at some time in the future. So John is predicting, catch this, a resurrected Roman Empire. Not the same buildings, laws, language, and so forth, but a resurrection of the culture and the character with which it is described in the Bible. He said, I didn't know it was described in the Bible. I'm so glad you said that, because now we're going to access the prophet Daniel. Because you can't understand the book of Revelation without Daniel, at least parts of it. Everybody say, I'm still with you. <laughs> Some of you, your eyes are all glazed over. I know it's been a long day, but, and this is hard to follow to a point, but I think I'm making it clear. I want you to follow now, okay? Let's go to Daniel. Daniel predicted. The rise and fall of four world kingdoms, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. He foresaw in Daniel chapter 2, verse 40, that the fourth kingdom, Rome, would be strong as iron. The kingdom, uh, the, the kingdom that would smash and crush all previous empires, just as iron smashes and crushes everything it strikes. And that is exactly what Rome did. Rome crushed every empire on the planet when Rome was in its full strength. It's an amazing description. It's completely accurate. It's amazing. Because when, when Daniel predicted this, he was in Babylon. And so he was predicting first the kingdom of Babylon. Then the, there, were, there would be the Medes and the Persians would take over Babylon. Then the Greeks would take over the Medes and the Persians. Then Rome would take over the Greeks. And he saw centuries of civilizations before they ever arrived. Are you with me? Only God can do that. And the only time you can do that is if God told you something you would never have known otherwise. Right? So Daniel's vision was completely accurate. One day the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar had a very disturbing dream that disturbed and perplexed him. Without knowing any details, God revealed it to Daniel, not only the dream itself and the interpretation. And so Daniel relates the details of the king's astonishing dream. Let me just read it to you. because It's one of the great portions of prophetic scripture that people say to me, how do I know the Bible is the word of God? I said, well, one way you know is the Bible prophecy. Because the Quran doesn't prophesy. Book of Mormon doesn't prophesy. Well, Book of Mormon did prophesy, and they've had to revise it, re-revise it, re-re-re-revise it, because all the prophecies didn't come to pass, so they had to make up new stuff. Right. No other religious book has dared to predict the future but the Bible. Everybody with me tonight? The Bible. 
So Daniel, by revelation, said to Nebuchadnezzar, You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you. Its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold. Nobody had told Daniel this. It was given to him in a dream. Now the head of fine gold, Babylon. Its chest and arms were of silver, Medes and the Persians. Medes, one arm, Persians, the other. Its belly and thighs of bronze, Greece. And its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. That's Rome. Nebuchadnezzar was blown away. And he said, is there anyone in our kingdom in whom resides the Spirit of God like this man? Daniel goes on to explain it. Now we will tell the king what it means. Your majesty, you're the greatest of kings. The God of heaven has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. He's made you the ruler of all the inhabited world and has put even the wild animals and birds under your control. You are the head of gold. The head of gold was the king of Babylon. This was a compliment to Nebuchadnezzar. Babylon ruled the world with an all-controlling, efficient, powerful government for more than 80 years. But that's it, 80 years. Even so, Daniel predicts its demise with the rise of another kingdom. He says, but after your kingdom comes to an end, (laughs) he's telling Nebuchadnezzar, this is all coming to an end. You think you're something? You You think you're a bag of chips and all that? All that in a bag of chips? But no, it's all coming to an end. There's only one kingdom that's never going to end. We're about to read about it. The next kingdom described by arms of silver was the Medo-Persian Empire. Ruled the world for the next 200 years. So they made it 200 years. Babylon made it 80. The Medes and the Persians made it 200. But it it will come to an end too, says Daniel. It's going to give way to another one. Chapter, or verse 39, after that kingdom was fallen... A third kingdom represented by bronze is going to rise to rule the world. And the thighs of bronze represent the empire of Greece under Alexander the Great and his successors. And we we read that after Alexander's death, Greece was divided amongst his four generals and was plagued with civil wars, eventually to be swallowed up by the fourth kingdom Daniel mentions in verse 40. Following Greece, there will be a fourth one. This is the one that matters to us. As strong as iron, that kingdom will smash and crush all previous empires, just as iron smashes and crushes everything it strikes. In verse 33, we find the king's dream included information on the legs of this fourth kingdom. Now, this is what matters to you and me. Watch this. Daniel says, its legs were of iron, but its feet were partly of iron, partly of baked clay. Now, the legs of iron represent the Roman Empire. It ruled from 30 B.C. to 476 A.D. So Rome lasted longer than any of the others, 500 years. Rome made it 500 years. But it came to an end. The two legs, because he saw two legs of iron and then two feet, part iron, part clay. The two legs were the eastern and the western divisions of the Roman Empire, which came to pass after the fall of western Rome. Everybody with me? Then he says in verse 41, the feet and the toes you saw 
were a combination of iron and baked clay, showing this kingdom is going to be divided, like iron mixed with clay. It'll have some of the strength of iron, but what, which some parts of it will be as strong as iron, other parts will be as weak as clay. So here's what he's telling us. The feet and toes consisting of iron and clay is a prediction that Rome would reemerge one day represented by the iron, but it wouldn't be pure Roman culture, but it would be a mixture of different cultures, we would say multicultural. So it's going to reappear. Where? Europe. Daniel adds one more thing that is sure to stir the heart of every Christian. So catches everybody. Now he's looking and he says, now let me tell you what the feet mean. Rome's going to reemerge. It, it was, and then it disappeared. I ask you, did Rome disappear? After 500 years, it disappeared. Eastern Rome lasted longer, but one day, it disappeared. It's going to reappear. The character of Rome, the characteristics of Rome, ruling, dominant, demanding, oppressive. It's going to reemerge. And it's going to be a mixture of Rome, but other cultures are going to be involved in it. It's going to reappear. Now, we're going to see this a little bit longer or a little bit more in later chapters, but keep that in mind. It's going to reappear the same way that it used to be. All right? And not like socialism, like Marxist, like, like uh, controlling the way Rome was. Anybody that was under Rome hated Rome. They wanted out of Rome. The Jews wanted deliverance from Rome. That's what they thought Jesus was going to bring them. But Daniel saw something else. He says, as you watched, O king, a rock was cut from a mountain, but not by human hands. It struck the feet of iron and clay, smashing them to bits. So this revived Roman Empire, oppressive, controlling, used by the Antichrist is going to be crushed by what? He says, I saw the whole statue crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. And the wind blew them away without a trace like shaft on the threshing floor. But the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. What in the world is the stone cut without hands? Out of the mountain. What is that? The chief cornerstone. It's the return of Christ being pictured here. And when Jesus returns, this revived Roman Empire that is being ruled by Antichrist, that has all the characteristics of old ancient Rome, controlling, oppressive, miserable, miserable to be under, no freedom, under the mark of the beast, can't buy or sell without it, all the things that are characterized, this revived Rome, when Jesus appears, he's going to crush it. He's going to crush it. Amen. The stone cut without hands out of the mountain represents the rock of ages who's going to return to earth to destroy a one-world, revived Roman Gentile government 
headed by the Antichrist. So we're getting a little foretaste of what he's going to go into in greater detail in later chapters. Uh, and we've only got five left. But he's going to go into greater detail about it. But we're getting a little foretaste here. He's showing us that Christ is going to return and stop the worst war the world has ever seen, the War of Armageddon, and crush this horrible Antichrist system that will have the whole world enslaved. And along with it, he'll crush this apostate religious system. It'll all be crushed, done away with, when Jesus appears in the cloud. Amen, amen. Amen, amen. Whoa. Just notice Cindy sitting over there. All right. That helps me. Gives me a little... Sorry. Good to see you. All right. Um, Anyway, uh, isn't that powerful? So John's main point is this, and I close. Antichrist is going to revive or, or, or going to rise out of a revived Roman Empire. And Messiah Jesus will ultimately crush his kingdom at the close of the Great Tribulation. And then comes the beginning of a brand new world. All right? Let's stand together, can we? Amen. In the Word of God, powerful. I, I marvel at the Word of God. How many of you, does it just blow you away, the power of God's Word, the prophecy, the things foretold, everything? I mean, right down to our time, giving us detail about what's coming. How many of you are so glad you're covered in the blood of the Lamb? Are you so glad? Amen, amen. And I want us just to lift our hands and thank the Lord. Yes, it's going to be darkest before the dawn. It's going to be darkest before the dawn. But there's a new day coming. Weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, is going to return as the Lion of Judah, the Judge of all the earth. And all of these evil forces that we see brewing and forming right now are going to be crushed under His feet. And He's going to reign supreme over all the world with a scepter of righteousness. In the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Can we just say thank you, Jesus?